The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God still and trust in me. I am going now to prepare a place for you, and after I have gone and prepared you a place, I shall return to take you with me, so that where I am, you may be too. You know the way to the place where I am going. The words I say to you, I do not speak as from myself. It is the Father living in me who is doing this work. You must believe me when I say I, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Believe it on the evidence of this work, if for no other reason. I tell you most solemnly, whoever believes in me will perform the same works as I do myself. He will perform even greater works because I am going to the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Today, as I'm sure we picked up, there's this strong emphasis on the priesthood. In Acts, it's mentioned that several priests were were given over to the way of life. These are Jewish priests, by the way, temple, temple priests. And you've got this sort of emergence of what looks like a kind of diaconal order with Stephen and that. They're saying the, the widows here, you know, need help. Widows of a foreign people, the, the, the Greeks, who are counting on the Christians for hospitality and, 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 and life, you know. So there's this big, rich community that's developing with their needs, with their pastoral needs. And so the church itself, uh, inspired by the Lord, guided by the Spirit, is serving the needs of the people. It's this kind of interior pastoral um, energy that's that's giving birth to new and beautiful things. It's wonderful. And then in Peter, we heard uh, Georgia reading for us that we're a priestly nation, a royal, a royal people, a royal chosen race, and a priestly people. These are things that are easy, I think, to misunderstand or to palm off. Um, maybe not so much now, hopefully, because the modern church is, is probably more aware of your sharing in the priesthood than in previous, in previous generations. We'd be making a big mistake to think that we're gathered here to watch Father make a sacrifice. That's not what we're doing. The priest, of course, is here ordained for a particular ministry to, to preside over this liturgy. But we're gathered here as one person, the body of Christ, who is the eternal high priest. And therefore, all of us are caught up in this big, grand motion of offering sacrifice, of offering petition. Jesus is the one who, by virtue of his priesthood, restores and heals and unifies and strengthens and atones. And therefore, that's your work. That's your work that you're able to share in beautifully, wonderfully. It's also worth noting that Jesus is a priest for us, not by virtue of his divinity, but by virtue of his humanity. I've said this before, but think of Israel's priests. They needed someone to mediate for them. And so one of the tribes of Israel became the priestly tribe. It couldn't be some other random tribe. It needed to be someone from their people to therefore bridge the gap for them. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus, the man, is a priest for humanity. It's awesome. So that's where we are. And so what I want to do is look at just um, the priesthood as a function and then the royal, the royal dignity that we have. Um, yeah, I want to look at that. 
It says there that we are a, we are a, um, a chosen race. And I think this is easy to misunderstand because at times it's given birth, frankly, to racism. This idea that some races are superior, <laughs> some races are inferior, and all of the injustice that just cascades out of that. This is not God's vision. If you look at Jesus' own bloodline, go read chapter 1 of Matthew. He's got all sorts of non-Jews, non-Hebrews in his own heritage. Because the mystery of the Incarnation is not God coming down and becoming a Hebrew person. The mystery of the Incarnation is God taking all humanity up into himself. He does it in his very birth. He does it on the cross. He says, I'll take all flesh to myself. All flesh with its burden of sin will come to me. And on the cross, it'll be renewed, redeemed, made one again. So if there's any hierarchizing of races, we've somehow misunderstood what Peter and what God is saying here. We're a chosen race because we're the human race. And, and, and all of humanity is infinitely precious to God. Does God speak at particular times through particular people? Sure. Did God speak in a uniquely unrepeatable way through Israel? Yeah. Sure. The law that they were given, the way of life that they were given, was unique. Okay. But it was unique so that from there it could spill over to the whole human family and, and be broadcast to the ends of the earth. The Father's goal is that we would understand that we are in fact one family with Him. Um, the Father has one begotten Son, but by virtue of adoption into Christ, we're one giant family and we all share as firstborn heirs in the kingdom. Next is the royal priesthood. And it's a curious term. I was saying this morning, we might have the, um, the remnants of King uh, Charles III's coronation in our minds, but that's not really what's meant here. By, by royal, royal priesthood, um, the church and the scriptures are alluding to the fact that if you're a firstborn heir in this kingdom and you take on this priestly work, there is no higher dignity that can be given to you. There is one royal people, if you like, one kingdom, and, and, and that's us. We'd be familiar with this from our own baptism. We all share now in a priestly, a prophetic, and a kingly office by virtue of our baptism. That's what we're doing. So what does it mean now in this moment here to be gathered in the priesthood, if you like, of Jesus, the Son of God. Most fundamentally, it's that we come to offer sacrifice. Um, don't pietize that idea and don't relegate it to the realm of misery and pain and, and you know, hurting for God. That's not what we're talking about here. All of your lives, I'm sure you can give ample testament, have been sacrificial. The early mornings and the late nights for the sake of your children grinding in the workplace, struggling with all sorts of things um, for those you love. This is the sacrificial life, your blood, sweat and tears poured out, doing something holy, really, uh, for the sake of those who are put in your care. Um, you'll hear these words that we hear at every single Mass, but pay close attention to them today. When the gifts are brought forward, those gifts are symbolic of all of the work that you yourselves have done in the world, bread and wine, fruit of the earth, work of human hands, um, but then on the altar, I say, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours would be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Everything you do, you place with 
with, with us, with, together as one, you place on the altar that it would be as pleasing to the Father as the Son himself is. Think about that. Everything you've done in the past week and in your whole life <laughs> leading up to this point, place it on the altar in the hope and in the good faith that it will be as pleasing to God as the Son himself because you're offering it in his name and you're asking God to recognize in it the Son who's come among us. You're making a profound sacrificial act here. Lastly, I'll say, don't think that because this is the only altar in Mount Larkham, that this is the only place you can offer sacrifice. There are altars to be found everywhere. I don't think it's an accident that in Genesis you follow the journey of Abraham and literally every single place he goes, he builds an altar and offers sacrifice because he knows that's what he does. That's his function. Um, and it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's a sacrifice often for being brought into safety or for the birth of his child or for who knows what else, you know. Um, he makes a sacrifice of praise, which is the meaning of the Eucharist. The word literally means thanksgiving. What about you? Will you find altars, firstly, in your own heart? when you have to suffer you know, bitter emotions, or when you have to suffer insults, or when you have to bear patiently with things, your very heart becomes an altar where you offer sacrifice in the interiority of your prayer. Um, when you toil at work, of course, the workplace becomes altar. When your family gathers at mealtime, the kitchen, the dining table, the, the lounge room, all of it becomes altar where you can offer a very real and a very powerful sacrifice for God. And finally, when the day is finished and you come to lay your tired flesh down on the bed, your bed itself becomes an altar of sacrifice to give thanks for the day and to commend yourself to God in the name of Jesus. This is beautiful. Really, nothing, nothing escapes the sacrificial life, does it? So this is what we're doing. On another day, I'd love to expand on what a prophet and a king is for us, but I'll simply marry it into the priesthood by saying these two small things. Firstly, being a prophet isn't so much about telling the future. We get hung up on prophecies about the future. This really isn't what's meant when we say you're baptized into the prophetic office. More to the fact is that you're called to tell the present, to have eyes that look and see, to have ears that listen and really hear and to speak the truth that God has given to you. Very often I find, um, and I've said this before, gossip comes so, so, like such a hair's breadth from what prophecy is, because gossip is like a half-truth. <laughs> it's like a truth that, that everyone knows and is sort of implicit, but you can't really say it. It comes out the side of your mouth instead. Um, well, prophecy is saying this thing that we can all tell and that we're all sort of narking about, this is what it is. Well, this is what I see, and maybe this is what God's calling us to. A prophetic word comes out of, um, out of that space, and we're commissioned to be that voice. Prophets don't tickle the ears like false prophets do, but they speak the reality of God when the world gropes around in the dark. The second thing I'd say is that it's impossible to function as priest and not simultaneously as prophet and king. In fact... It's impossible to be one of those things and not the others. They always operate in kind of triune tandem. A priest who is not prophetic and kingly, a priest who is not prophetic and kingly, is someone who becomes obsessed with pain. 
sacrifice, 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 as if that's the only expression of the Christian life. That's not what we're called to. A prophet who is not at the same time priestly and kingly is probably obsessed with their own voice, of sounding off like a clanging gong, telling everyone when they're in the wrong or when they're in the right. Um, that's not what we're called to either. And finally, a king, which is what you are by virtue of your baptism, but a king who is not at the same time priestly and prophetic starts to love the comfort and the view of the throne to the neglect of the responsibilities that come with offering sacrifice and offering um, guidance and shepherding to those in our care. So as we come to the altar now as priests, I'm going to invite us during, during the, the, the bringing forward of the gifts and making our offerings monetarily, I'm going to invite us and it's a safety hazard, parents, so with these little ones, just maybe go with them. Um, take a small piece of incense, which is your prayer, and place it on the coal. This is a priestly act. Our prayers don't go unheard, but they go up as a pleasing aroma to God. They bear the fragrance of Christ, um, and Christ himself answers our prayers that we say in his name. So let's make that powerful gesture when we come to that point in the Mass.